Hi, I'm Dr. Paula Redmond, a clinical psychologist, and you're listening to the When Work Hurts podcast. On this show, I want to explore the stories behind the statistics of the mental health crisis facing healthcare professionals today, and to provide hope for a way out through compassion, connection, and creativity. Join me as I talk to inspiring clinicians and thought leaders in healthcare about their unique insights and learn how we can support ourselves and each other when work hurts. One of the issues that comes up a lot for me and the health professionals I speak to in the course of my work is how hard it can be to disconnect from work. To explore this issue and helpful ways of responding to it, I was joined by Ross McIntosh. Ross is a work psychologist and host of the award-winning podcast, People Soup. Ross started off by telling me about the work he does. To answer that, what I think I'll do is go quite high level and say that in my work, what I'm trying to do is take a stand for the possibility of well-being, adaptability and recovery for adults at work and provide them with skills to support themselves and each other, and particularly in these turbulent times. So I basically I design and deliver evidence-based interventions, hopefully meeting people and organizations where they are, understanding what they're facing and understanding the context of that organization. And you're absolutely right, I've been working a lot with the NHS, both pre and during pandemic. I've had the good fortune to work a lot with the NHS. I also work quite a bit with teachers and civil servants. So I have quite a public sector bias. I do do some work in the private sector. And I know we're not focusing on that today, but it's just, I think it's interesting to notice that they are also interested in these types of skills to support adults in the workplace. So now delving into a bit. So Typically, I'd be going round pre-pandemic, I'd be going round to NHS trusts, either delivering directly to people who work within the NHS or running train-the-trainer sessions to enable people to either cultivate the skills directly themselves or help others facilitate sessions in their own organisations. And all of those training interventions are based upon something called acceptance and commitment therapy, which I know you know very well. We call it ACT. And what I do as part of my role is at City University of London, where I work in partnership with Dr. Paul Flaxman, who is a globally recognized researcher in ACT and has been for the last almost 20 years. And we've got this neat little partnership where he is the academic and I am the more the practitioner side of things. And by drawing upon this partnership, we, we enable research to take place. And we also can discuss adaptations and tweaks to a protocol we've developed. We've developed a protocol for ACT in the workplace, which would typically be delivered over four sessions. And that's what is a kind of core foundation of all my work in the, in the NHS. Tell me about this protocol. What, what are the, the kind of skills that you are supporting people to learn? What have you found has been most important for people? What we're doing with ACT is we're trying to distill it down into a manageable set of skills that can really enhance the experience of adults in the workplace. 
And in my experience, these are skills I was never taught at school, at uni, in my professional life. These are skills that can be so useful and can be applied in any area of life. It's not just about saying, hey, we're giving you these skills so we can get you to do the job of four people instead of three people that you're currently doing. So the beauty of this is these are skills for life. How would I describe them? The way we describe them in the training, perhaps that's the best way to approach this, is we describe the skill of noticing. That skill of being able to strengthen our awareness. So do we always notice how we're showing up in different scenarios in life? Do we notice the impact that's having on us and those people around us? Do we notice what's going on around us in life, those opportunities? Perhaps there are threats as well or risks. And do we notice what our minds are producing? Because our minds can be quite pesky, being an adult human in the workplace, and they can produce all sorts of content that can kind of get in the way or stop us being the person we'd really like to be. So that's one skill, this skill of really enhancing our noticing skills. Then we have a skill we call active. And this we describe as using our personal values as our guide. So what do I mean by that? I mean really connecting with what has purpose and meaning for us in different areas of our life. And then working out how we can use those abstract words as guides for our behaviour, like a beacon for our behaviour, which can be particularly important in, in quite turbulent times. And then the final skill, we, we call it open. And the kind of subtitle to that one, Paula, is we say relating more skillfully to the inner world. Now that can sound a bit woo-woo, but what we mean there is the inner world is our minds can produce loads of thoughts, emotions, memories, sensations, urges, which can influence our behavior. And there are a set of skills that we can share with adults that can help them relate to that inner world in a different way so it doesn't have such a hold over them. So that's how we kind of present those skills in a hopefully, fingers crossed, Paula, in a kind of compelling way that encourages people to to invest their time in attending some training like this. But we also know these skills basically cultivate psychological well-being and psychological flexibility in adults. I'm taking lots of notes, Ross, because this is all useful, <laughs> important stuff. I can really see how relevant it is to people working in the NHS and thinking about the people I work with. And I think working in that context of, of the NHS where there's often very little time or scope for just taking a pause to notice. Uh, we can get so caught up in process and systems that just that opportunity to pause and notice both what's going on around us but also what's going on inside us, I think really valuable and important if we are going to be able to take action that's in line with our values because often you're thinking about when work hurts it's often when there are real values conflicts aren't there in terms of I guess things like you know really wanting to be very dedicated and committed to our work but sometimes that can mean putting ourselves um, in harm's way if we're overworking, for example. 
And without being able to take a pause and notice those conflicts, we can really, I guess, be drawn into automatic ways of, of responding that are unhelpful. Absolutely, Paula. I, I love the way you express that because some themes that I've seen, I think, overworking in the NHS during the pandemic are exhaustion is probably the top one, frustration. A sense that people are applying strategies that used to work in the pre-pandemic days that are no longer working, but they're continuing to try and apply them because they haven't taken that pause to reflect. And that could mean strategies about enabling a disconnect from work, perhaps on a commute, perhaps some people aren't, aren't traveling, or, or from traumatic events that have been witnessed and disconnecting from those. So those moments of pause are really important. I couldn't agree more. Self-care is another thing that's come out for me. People realizing from training of this type that actually they have permission to look after themselves. And it's interesting what you're talking about values conflict, because I absolutely agree. And I think sometimes I've experienced people who've become disconnected from their personal values at the workplace. They're kind of like, well, what's the chuffing point? Why, why am I doing this? Or... I'm not sure how to put this, but kind of an inflexible application of personal values. And I'm not sure whether I'm onto something here or not, but let me try and describe it because I think it's say you've got a value of caring and you're just applying that at 100% throughout your working life and perhaps outside of work too. That's not a very flexible application. Do you get what I mean? It's kind of like, can people dial it down sometimes uh, because I think they've forgotten about themselves or perhaps their own personal well-being just keeps slipping down their to-do list in a very gentle, familiar way. And that way is not a healthy way to go for the individual, for the organisation, for the patients, for the service users. It's not sustainable and it's it's storing up all sorts of trouble. I guess one of the problems with with well-being programs and I think one of the resistances is that there's a message that the problem is located in the person and they need to go to some kind of you know resilience course to sort themselves out and a lack of acknowledgement of of that broader context of, of how the work itself is managed. I couldn't agree more and I think it damages the impact of training interventions like this which can be really useful and we know can really enhance psychological well-being what it doesn't do is fix a toxic environment and ideally when I'm delivering training like this I'd aim to get conversations with people who have more control over the the environment even if it's just to make them aware of how people are feeling because quite often those people don't have a voice it can be a sort of side issue to the, to the training, but I think to ignore it and to say, here's some skills for you, does exactly what you've just described. It individualizes it and says, there's no real problem with the, the toxic nature of this organization. So ideally, and it, it doesn't always work, we don't always get access to the right people, but to talk about the culture or the, the behaviors that aren't, contributing to a cooperative and collaborative workplace are really important too. And for me, 
That's the beauty of this type of behavioral science because it can be ramped up from the individual to the organizational level. And I have done some work with some teams within trusts to think, okay, here's some skills for you as individuals with this team, as individuals within this team. Now let's look about how you'd like to be as a team. What's important to you as a team and what could show up inside anyone within this team that would get in the way of bringing to life what's important? And that can unlock great conversations about the culture and about how we want this team to be and make everyone feel as though they have a voice within that um, environment, which they previously haven't felt. So I think part of the beauty of this type of behavioral science is that it can be, um, what's the word, is it like ramped up, escalated to, to, to account for team behavior too? Are you saying, and I guess I'm thinking about um, when you're talking about applying these skills at a team level, that sense of as a team, how can we notice how can we activate our values? How can we um, be more open in how we relate to our team experience? And there's, a, there's an approach called, from the contextual behavioral science stable called pro-social, which brings together evolutionary theory, contextual behavioral science, which is what we're talking about today, and a set of core design principles that were shown through great research by an economist to be the qualities that effective and collaborative teams had. Now I'm going a bit off trajectory, but I think it's fascinating to look at those design principles for effective teams and use them as a diagnostic for, for your own team to say, do we have a say in how this team runs and makes decisions? For example, do we know what each other are doing in this team? And do we feel empowered to call out behavior that's in line with how we want to be as a team and also call out behavior that's not in line with how we want to be as a team? And for me, using that combined with contextual behavioral science like ACT can really unlock conversations and breakthroughs in a team that you probably wouldn't have got to. So I've taken this on a bit of a tangent there, Paula, apologies, but I just think I just wanted to illustrate that, yes, an ACT training course doesn't solve a toxic environment, but it could be a pretty great foundation, those, that set of skills to then apply to a team. And I think, I think the potential there is like, for me, it's a bit mind-blowing. And I wonder if we could... Um, maybe unpack this this uh, this theme around connection and disconnection a bit more in relation to work and and how these skills can help with that. So, thinking about when we talk about disconnection from work, I'm, I'm what comes to mind for me is um, you know people's struggles with leaving work behind, you know going home and and carrying. Um, really, you know, difficult stuff that they may have witnessed or been through during the working day. Um, some of the, you know, trauma and loss that people have been exposed to in, in huge um, volumes and in great intensity and kind of over long extended periods of time 
finding that really hard to um, disconnect from in order to focus on other aspects of, of their lives and other things that are important to people. In what ways do you think that, that these kind of ACT skills can help people struggling with that? What I do look at and combine with ACT is research and the literature on leisure time recovery. This idea that what we do in our leisure time could really help us recover and recharge our batteries. And it doesn't need to be enormous things like, oh, hey, why don't, why don't you learn a language? Or write that book you're always going to write in your leisure time. Or learn how to make the perfect blum and sourdough. No, it's, <laughs> it's, it's more about what small steps can you take to have more, a bit more intention in your time outside of work that really brings to life some of your own personal values in that. And I say this in a kind of quite tentative way, Paula, because I am humbled and in awe of our NHS for the things they have experienced and seen and witnessed over the course of this pandemic. And I don't want to appear trite, but I think the ACT can help support us generally as human beings in just being the person we'd like to be a bit more often. And that can mean this weekend or this time up, this time I've got in the future where I'm going to have a few days off, just pausing to think, how do I want to be in this time off? How could I use this time off and really disconnect from that work rather than sit and ruminate for that time off about everything that's happened. I don't know if that makes sense, Paula. Yeah, because what, what that brings to mind for me is what, you know, one of the things that's been so hard about the pandemic is not having access to those things that we would normally call upon to help us with that. So not being able to go out with friends or go anywhere or do anything, um... For, for a lot of this time or, or those things being tinged with anxiety and, and threat. Um, but I, I guess I was then thinking that, that what can be so helpful about the distinction between, I guess, values and, and maybe goals um, in what you said about how do I want to be in this time? So maybe we don't have access to the activities um, that we, you know, may want to spend our time doing. But there's something about a, a quality of, of being um, that we still may have access to. Um, so I guess, you know, I'm thinking about h- how do we find ways of, um, you know, being spontaneous and, and uh, you know, fun or, or creativity um when we haven't had access to you know going to the pub or whatever i think you're so right to to highlight that because i think it takes some some creativity and reflection to to try and express those values in a different way perhaps the value of connection yeah maybe you can't meet in person or go to a restaurant 
But are there other ways you could connect as a group of friends or with one friend or going to a gym, say the gyms are, were closed? Um, how could you develop a, a different stretching regime in the confines of your own home? Or you love traveling, how could you research new places to go, maybe watch particular YouTube videos or get inspiration from what are the qualities about that travel that that really ignite you and how could you try and find other ways to just get and maybe not the full ignition but just a little spark that would enable you to kind of feed that value express that value in a different way because it's kind of unbundling them and and thinking are there different ways I could do this I guess yeah so I wonder, um, Ross, if we could maybe um, bring this to life a little bit in terms of what we're talking about and, and whether um, you would be willing to kind of talk me through an exercise so that we can demonstrate what this looks like. Yes, so it is quite experimental, this, in a pure audio format. First of all, I'm going to invite you to have a bit of paper in front of you and a pen, please. Okay. And on that piece of paper, blank paper, I'd like you to draw a line down the middle vertically and a line across the page horizontally, again in the middle. So what you should have there, if, a, if my instructions were any good, is four quadrants of a, around an equal size. Yeah. Great. Right, so on that vertical line, that the one that goes up. At the top of that, if you draw an arrowhead and write towards, follow that line down to the bottom of the page and draw a downward arrow and write the word away. Okay. And then on the horizontal line, over on the left-hand side, if you could just write inner world, inner world. And then over on the right-hand side, write world of behavior. And while we're at it, just in this sort of preparatory bit, in the middle where those two lines intersect, just draw yourself quite a, a decent sized circle. And in that circle, write noticing with kindness and curiosity. So what we've just drawn is something called the ACT matrix. And this is the version we use in our protocol. For listeners who use the ACT matrix or are familiar with it, We've rotated it to make the towards moves up and the away moves down, just in case there's any confusion there. But otherwise, it follows the, the principles of this tool. And what this tool is, is it's a framework. It's a framework to help us get perspective. It helps me sort out the jumble that's inside my head when I'm trying to work out something in the future. You can also use it to look at the past, but today I'm going to be using it to look to the future. And as I said earlier, it can help you be the person you'd like to be a bit more often, taking small steps to the kind of best version of yourself. So that's a little introduction to the tool. And this tool we can use for any area of our life. So as we've been talking about disconnecting from work, I thought we might use it to explore a period of disconnection that's coming up for you, Paula. 
could be a, a longer break from work or it could be just an evening or a weekend. What would you like to choose or, or focus on as a scenario? Um, I think uh, school holidays. Perfect. Perfect. Thank you. So, Paula, what I'm going to invite you to do is join me in thinking about how you'd like to be during those school holidays and disconnecting from work using this tool, this matrix that we've just drawn. So just let's, let me just familiarise you a bit more with that. So if you look, look at the tool, basically it encourages us to look at our human experience in two dimensions. That we can move towards who we want to be and we can move away from who we want to be in any area of life. And we'll always do both. The purpose of this behavioural science and this tool isn't to turn you into to Saint Paula, who's only ever moving towards who she wants to be. The purpose of this is to kind of help you notice a bit more often. And then the other dimension is represented by that horizontal line. So in any scenario in life, there's stuff going on in our inner world. Those thoughts, emotions, memories, sensations, sometimes they can be useful and sometimes they can really get in the way and leave us feeling despondent, stuck in loops, almost trapped. And that stuff happening in our inner world can really influence how we show up in life in the, what we call on this little diagram, the world of behaviour. So that's the basics of the matrix and perhaps the most important part is that bit in the centre that noticing with kindness and curiosity. We're looking to cultivate this stance of being curious and kind to ourselves about what's going on. Because I can bet that you, Paula, and all of your listeners are probably their own harshest critics in life. So it's an unusual stance to cultivate and encourage, but it's one that's so valuable to us, particularly people who are so compassionate in everything they do in their working lives and with their family. Let's, let's turn that light of compassion onto ourselves a bit. So, setting the scene a bit. So now, let's go back to your example of school holidays. And I'm going to take you around each of these quadrants, Paula. And I'm going to ask you a question. And you just have a go at responding to this. And you don't have to write it down, but if you're... If you're having a go as a listener, you might just want to jot some notes down on a, on a piece of paper. So really just thinking about that context of school holidays and not being at work, Paula. Describe to me how you'd like to be during that time. I would like to be able to be really present with my family, to be really focused on... Um, rest and having fun and um yeah I guess a, a sense of of being with my kids physically and psychologically not worrying too much about work not too distracted love it thank you Paula so that that being present that being focused the opportunity to have rest and fun and I love how you describe being with my kids physically and psychologically, not being hooked away by work stuff. Beautiful. So that goes in that top left quadrant, and that's in your inner world. 
Now, at the same time as you think about these qualities of your behavior, these, these values you'd like to bring to your school holiday period, there'll most likely be other stuff that shows up that could get in the way. So what stuff could show up inside of you that could get in the way? Things like thoughts, emotions, memories, sensations, urges. Have a go at just playing with that question a bit, if you wouldn't mind, Paula. I find my work very exciting and very interesting. So I often have an urge to do work stuff. Um, so it's not really stress, but a, a real pull, a real draw to just check what's going on here or, um, you know, answer that email or, um, you know, do a little something. Um but I think there is a background of anxiety around, you know, missing something, letting someone down, um, not being on top of everything all the time is probably an anxiety there for me too. Mm. Thank you so much. And I, and I guess another thing that probably crops up is worrying about people, worrying about clients, um, you know, particularly having taken a break, maybe feeling guilty about doing that. Um, if I'm not having sessions, for example, that week, are people okay? Have I let them down? Does someone need me and I'm not there for them? Um, feeling a bit selfish for taking time out when people are struggling, yeah. Thank you, thank you, Paula, for a real reflection there on the all those different things that can pop up, whether it's that sense of anxiety about your clients, perhaps feeling a little bit adrift or disconnected, your enthusiasm for your work and just that urge to check in, all going on in your inner world. And that stuff can really impact on how you show up during this school holiday time. So I'm going to continue around this matrix and I'm going to go across to the bottom right and say to you, if those things you've just described were really influencing your behavior in a practical way, how you show up in the world, what might we see you doing? If there's a camera following you around, what might it see you doing? Might it see you just sneaking off to go and check on things or, or dropping, I'll not put words in your mouth, you tell me. Sorry. <laughs> yes, I think it would it would see me. I'm quite an early waker because I have a dog. Um, and it would see me probably being like, oh, everyone's still asleep. I'll just do a few hours of work um, in the morning and then no one will notice and I won't have to feel bad. <laughs> um, probably being on my phone, checking my phone, checking emails. Yeah, that kind of thing. So kind of, I'm getting a sort of sense of distraction, a sort of stealth, early morning yeah. stealth to get in, yes. to get in some hours yes. of work in. Yes. And, and yes, and, and the kind of thing of like, um, oh, you know, the kids are quite happy watching TV. I'll just do some emails now. They won't mind. They won't notice. <laughs> and then, and then, you know, sooner or later, hours have, have crept by. Beautiful. I love that last bit as well. Sooner or later, hours have crept by. So that's taking you away from who you'd 
really like to be during this this school holiday and it's so relatable and so human so let me take you up to the to the top right hand quadrant and here I'd invite you to look back across at those I asked you the question how how would you like to be in relation to the school holidays? And you said to be present, to be focused, to get rest and have fun and to be with your kids physically as well as psychologically. Thinking about those qualities, if you were bringing them to life, what would small steps towards those qualities or values look like? What small things could you do? I think it would be about resisting urges to to check, um, you know, to check my phone, to work in the early mornings and allow myself to, to put those things aside to to focus on what else might be important in this, in that time. You know, knowing that I can come back to that stuff, that stuff will still be there. And giving myself, I think, permission to rest. I think that's, you know, a, a tricky part for me, just reminding myself that that is important too, that, that rest and, you know, connection to those other things is also an enabler for me to be good at my job. That if I don't take time out to rest and recover and resource myself, that that can only be detrimental to my work. Thank you. I, I love that. I think I love the the thoughtful and, and considered way you you unpack that to thinking about your impact in the world as a, as a professional, and you'll be able to be more effective and frankly be a role model for us all, Paula. If we know you're you are disconnected and spending that time and and as you go through that that school holiday thinking about how can i really bring these values to life today because you'll always get distracted and think oh is that my phone beeping should i just go and check that message and just to help you reconnect with what's important because if if you have a look on your bit of paper now what we're trying to do in this type of behavioral science training is can you do that stuff in the top right? Can you bring more of that to life in the real world, even whilst that stuff in the bottom left is showing up? Are you willing to experience that stuff in the bottom left whilst you're moving towards what's important? And it's not that the stuff in the, in the top right, if you look at your bit of paper, is good and pleasurable and the stuff in the bottom right is nasty and horrible that stuff in the bottom right can feel great just going and doing a couple of hours work I can feel really satisfied and and pleased with myself and it's not who you really want to be in this in this time of school holidays and just to bring us back the purpose of using this tool is to help us notice with that curiosity of what's going on and what could get in the way internally. So what do you think? How was that as an experiment, Paula? How did you find that? Yeah, 
Well, I guess what, what's kind of just come to mind as you were talking is that really helpful concept of the both and, of, you know, acting in important ways, you know, in line with who we want to be and making room for the discomfort at the same time. Because I know that I, you know, I'm very guilty of, of, you know, I'll do that once I've got all this done. You know, once my inbox is cleared, then I can play with my kids. (laughs) Once the house is tidy, I can relax. It's just endless, isn't it? And I guess that is such an important um, concept, idea to hold on to that that it can be both and that we can do what matters and have the discomfort that might go along with that. Yeah, and it's a it's a constant reconnection with our values during that school holidays or during my weekend when I decide I really want to connect with my husband be the be the partner I'd really like to be and I and I find myself just checking my emails or social media just doing that can just help me notice actually that's not who I want to be right now what could I do in the next moment that would really express what's important to me in this relationship so I think it's subtle And I find this a tremendously useful tool in working on myself, doing my own inner work, but also a useful tool that I find people in the workplace can find really helpful. And it's important in that top right bit. We're not thinking about, I think I mentioned earlier, learning a new language or writing your book. We're thinking about small steps. And the smaller, the better. But we're looking for something where you've got a bit of autonomy. So maybe if you're thinking about, I don't know, going on a day trip or going to the gym twice that week or something, or going to meet friends twice that week, put it in your calendar. Give yourself that sense of autonomy. Give yourself time to connect with others, to belong. And give yourself something that perhaps where you can develop competence, develop skills or something in a a very slow and measured way but you can take small steps towards that. That that kind of combines act with um, basic psychological needs theory. And it's a bit, it's a challenge to anyone who struggles with perfectionism, I think, <laughs> um, which I do. That sense of, um, you know, the, a small imperfect step is is good, is, is it, is the thing. Um, that if we spend our lives waiting till things are perfect um, or complete in order to take action, we're going to be very stuck. And that thing of that constant kind of coming back to really just gives a sense of, of flexibility, doesn't it? That it you can notice that you're going down a road and, and come back. It doesn't. It's okay at whatever point you notice to take that next step. Beautiful. I love the way you describe that. And I think it was also Kelly Wilson who described it as a lifetime of gentle returns to our values. If something is this important to us, we can be compassionate with ourselves and gently keep returning, knowing that we're human and that's okay. 
So that thing of when I catch myself checking my emails rather than saying, oh, now you've ruined it, now you've done it, failed. It's that moment that I get to choose what I do with the next one. Beautiful. You're giving me goosebumps when you describe that. (laughs) Thank you all so much for that. I I guess actually, you know, thinking about um, the thoughts that that crop up for me in that kind of imposter syndrome, I'm aware that, you know, you are the host and creator of a great podcast called People Soup. And I wonder if you could just tell us a bit about about that and your your reasons for doing it. Yeah, it's something I love doing. I love exploring and playing with audio and the impact of audio and the impact it can have in making behavioral science more accessible, useful, and fun for adults in the workplace. That is my mission. I I take a stand for what's possible in the workplace in terms of our own well-being, our adaptability, and our recovery from work, and try to showcase skills that can support us in building that into our own working lives. And it has a strong basis in ACT and also demonstrates how ACT can combine with other psychological literature and research. And I love doing it. It's a true labour of love. We were just talking earlier about editing and stuff like that. And it has real purpose for me. It started off, blimey, it started off a few years ago. I was doing a lecture at City University to the MSc in organizational psychology. And I was getting frustrated with them. I was saying, get out there and bang a drum for psychology in the workplace because workplaces are in turmoil. This was before pandemic. There are, there are leadership crises. There are all sorts of things going on. And you never see an org psych or an occupational psych interviewed. Why not? You people get out there and bang your drum and make some noise. And one of them said, well, what noise are you making? I was like, oh, God. I was like, oh, crikey. Fair point. So that's the point where I released, I think the first episode I called it, I'm not sure whether this is a podcast or an audio blog. And then I kind of thought, oh, this is quite fun. This is a new way to reach more adults with skills that could be useful. And as I say, it's skills we're not exposed to in our upbringing, or I certainly wasn't. And I would say the workplace is an ideal place to reach more adults with these skills. It's, it's an arena where we've got people who might be interested in these skills. So that's kind of the mission I'm on with People Soup. And you've created a really nice community of listeners, haven't you? Yes, a shout out to my, my pea supers. Yeah, and we have fun and we get a bit of interaction. And I think it can be lonely being in the workplace. And... If I can maybe connect people or give people some skills that they might like to have a go at, I think, well, kind of job done. We've got a short bonus episode this week, which is an extra exercise that Ross took me through called Passengers on the Bus. So do check that out. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please do share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. I'd love to connect with you, so do come and find me on LinkedIn or Twitter. You can also sign up to my mailing list to keep up to date with future episodes and get useful psychology advice and tips straight to your inbox. All the links are in the show notes. 
Thanks again and until next time, take good care.